Thanks for joining Doxa as we celebrate Advent. It can be difficult to make room in this season. Over the next four weeks, we'll take a look at the Christmas story in new light, and we'll consider how to make room in our hearts for the hope brought by the God of the impossible and unexpected. For more information or to find guides for further discussion, please visit doxa-church.com or find us in the App Store by searching Doxa Church Eastside. Our scripture today is from Luke 2, 1 to 14. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn." And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you all. Uh, I will share a little bit more in my message about the last month and the challenge it's been. All right, if you have your Bibles, you're going to want to open to Luke chapter 2. Uh, we're going to look at first 20 verses there. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We would love to make sure you have a Bible that you can look at. Uh, so raise your hand, we'll bring one to you, and you are welcome to keep that Bible as a gift if you don't yet have one. Looks like most of us are bringing our Bibles these days, so we don't need as many, but uh, we'll always want to give you one. So um, feel free, if we have given you one, to take it as a gift. If you're looking at the Bibles that we hand out, uh, we'll be in page, on page number 500 as we look at this text together. Uh, before we begin to dive into the text, I want to uh, let you know that today's theme is about uh, making him room, making him room for, making room for worship. And as we followed the Advent theme of making him room, today is all about making room in our lives to worship Jesus. And the reality is, whether you're a Christian or not, you are a worshiper. We all are worshipers. We're always worshiping all of the time. To worship is to build your life on or around a particular thing or philosophy or ideology or even person or situation that it has a controlling power over the way you live your life. And it's, it's how you've been designed. Uh, God designed you, created you to first and foremost worship him. And as we do, then everything else is rightly ordered. 
Uh, whether, again, you're a Christian or not, you are a worshiper. David Foster Wallace, if you've heard of him, gave a very famous commencement speech in 2015 to the graduating class at Kenyon College, which he entitled, This is Water. Some of you are familiar with that speech. And he starts off the speech telling the story of two younger fish swimming along in the water, and an older fish comes along and says, how's the water, boys? To which they look at each other and think, is he crazy? What's he talking about? What is water? And then he goes on to talk about the fact that we don't stop and pay attention to the water we're swimming in because we've been in it all our lives to the point at which we're almost unconscious to the realities that shape us. And so he goes on to talk about the value of a liberal arts education and how it actually awakens you to the environment you live in and gives you the ability to begin to think critically in it. And this is a portion from that particular address. This, he says, I submit, is the freedom of a real education, of learning how to be well-adjusted. You get to consciously decide what has meaning and what doesn't. You get to decide what to worship. Because here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it JC, referring to Jesus Christ, or Allah, be it Yahweh or the wicked mother goddess or the four noble truths or some inviolable set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about all these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, though I would disagree with him on that. It's that they are unconscious, which I would agree with him on. They are default settings. By the way, I'll step back. Uh, Anytime you take a good thing and make it a God thing, that's a form of false worship. And that's kind of what he's describing here. And the so-called world will not discourage you from operating on your default settings because the so-called real world of men and money and power hums merrily along in a pool of fear and anger and frustration and craving and worship of self. Our own present culture has harnessed these forces in ways that have yielded extraordinary wealth and comfort and personal freedom. The freedom all to be lords of our tiny skull-sized kingdoms. Love that phrase. Alone at the center of all of creation. In other words, making ourselves the center of our worship. Now, I love that he said this to a bunch of college graduates because he wanted to prepare them for the reality that they don't have a choice whether they will worship or not. They do have a choice of who or what they will worship. And that's true for all of us because all of us are worshipers. We're all worshipers. That's the first thing I want you to embrace. You can't help it. You are always worshiping all the time. 
The question is, and I want you to seriously ask this of yourself, who or what do you worship? And I know you're going to, those of you who are Christians are going to say the right answer, but I want you to be honest about this last week. Who or what did you worship? Another way to answer this question is to ask yourself, who or what do you fear or what do you most fear losing? If it was taken away, could you imagine your life without it? See, worship and fear are very closely associated. In fact, the the scriptures are really clear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because as we fear God, not be afraid of God, meaning run away, but rather fear in the sense of submit to and trust in and look to, that as we do that, everything else gets rightly ordered. The scriptures are also very clear that anything else but God being center will lead to a life that's always lacking deep satisfaction and fulfillment that will lead to a life that is not actually the life he intended you to live. And it will lead to a kind of fear. Whatever you worship, you will fear in some way or another. Fear losing, fear not satisfying, fear not being fulfilled by, but it will create a kind of under-the-surface hum of fear in your life. And this passage that was read addresses fear in a very unique way. Look at it in your Bibles, Luke 2. We're going to start in verse 8 now. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, verse 9, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, how many of you in the room have seen an angel before? Okay, I didn't expect a hand to go up, but if it did, it was going to be a very interesting conversation. that this, this response to an angel is a very appropriate response because uh, whether Hollywood likes it or not, angels don't look like Clarence from It's a Wonderful World, okay? That's, that's our wonderful life. That's not what they look like. They don't want to have a cup of coffee with you. They're not going to discuss what's the best way to, for, to serve coffee, whether it's a pour over or a Chemex or whatever it may be. That's not why they show up. When angels show up, they usually show up to execute God's judgment in the form of destruction or to execute God's deliverance, and oftentimes it's still gonna bring judgment on somebody. So when an angel shows up, if an angel shows up in your bedroom or at your house, you should be afraid. Like there should be an appropriate level of fear at the sight of an angel. And then add to that, that not only is this an angel that we know the Bible refers to as part of an army of angels, so think warrior instead of like, like the, the pretty, you know, wings and flowing hair and all like this. This is a warrior angel. But when they show up and this particular angel of the Lord shows up to the, the shepherds, the glory of the Lord is all around the shepherds. And if you ever read anything in the Bible about when the glory of the Lord shows up in visible form, most people fall on their faces and can't look at it. Okay, so this is what's going on. An angel that is a warrior with the glory of God shining all around shows up to these shepherds and they are filled with great fear. And that great fear, and fear does this, it causes them to be frozen, fixated, in a sense, stuck in the moment. I want to pause again and ask this of you, especially as you think about this last week or this last month or maybe even this last year, What has captured you? What has so captured your attention, your affection, that you find yourself fixated 
or frozen. And you might go, nothing. Well, look at this last week. When did you get stuck in a moment? When did you get fixated on a situation? Where in your life have you so zoned in on something that it's actually captured your attention more than God himself? Now, at the communion time in the first gathering, I was with my family. They were at the nine o'clock, and I asked my kids this, and Caleb said, uh, Dragon Ball Z, uh, so I, that's some kind of cartoon animated movie stuff. I don't know what it is, but I kind of watched some of it. Uh, my daughter said college applications, and uh, my other daughter said TV, and, you know, and I'll share with you in a moment what mine was. Uh, but the reality is that if we're all honest, something captured our attention and affection to the degree in which we lost sight of God for the moment. And that's a form of worship when that happens. So what is it for you? What was it for you? And I want you to be honest. And I want you to not only say what it was, but what did it produce in you? What, what was the fruit of the fixation in your life? Because there's always an outcome to what you worship. Some theologians have said, you become like what you worship, which I think is very true. I also think you submit to what you worship and sense that your emotions and behaviors become controlled in some way or another by that worship object, object of worship. So what is it for you? Many of you know that this last month has been the hardest month of my entire life. If you're new with us uh, on November 14th, my best friend and really like a son in the faith to me uh, took his life. He was the pastor of the church I planted in Tacoma. I found out when I was flying, about to get on the plane to come home from Tokyo and I'd love to at another time share with you about my trip to Uzbekistan and Tokyo. I know many of you are praying for me. But I found out and I fell to the floor and just wailed. And it's honestly the greatest pain I've ever experienced in my entire life. It's been debilitating. It's, it's taking me to a place I've never wanted to go and never could imagine going. I returned back to the office this past Monday. Uh, I was so grateful that our elders immediately, when it, they found out the news came, met with me and said, hey, whatever time you need, take it. If you need to take time off, we want to just give you as much space as possible. And so thank you. Family, I know many of you have been praying for me and mindful of us and appreciate the space that you've been given, that we've been given. And, but I got back to work this past Monday and I sat down at my desk and I looked at my screen and I was thinking I was going to start writing the, wor- the message for today and just start to work on it. And I just stood there, I sat there and I just stared at it. I couldn't do anything. It's like all my creativity was out the window. All my capacity had been shrunken. My motivation was gone. If I'm really honest, I just wanted to close up the computer and say, I'm done. I'm not coming back. I can't do this again. But God's grace that I'm in this space right now. And, and so I just, I began to get consumed a little bit, if I'm honest, because I think grief is a good thing. You need to be honest with it. You need to tell the truth about what you're going through. And the, the lead team, the elders, Alex, Tim, and Donald, who are on staff, met. we met together Tuesday, and they just gave me space to process. And I, I began to say out loud these things that I'm experiencing. And, and I, then I said to them, I'm really afraid that this is the new norm for me, that I won't have capacity anymore, that I won't have creativity anymore, that, that I, I won't be able to be what I was. I was frozen, I was fixated, not just on the grief, but on myself. 
And they were so kind to me. And not only did they listen, but, but they, they reminded me how fear can have a controlling power over me, that I don't have to give into it, that there's a better new story that I can, I can believe in the midst of the devastation and, and loss that I've experienced. But I want to be really honest while I was fixated on the pain, while I was consumed with the loss, while I was totally focused on myself, it got really, really dark. Really dark. For two weeks in a row, I just, I had thoughts I've never had before. Things I, I won't tell you because it will not serve you in any way, but I will say, really dark thoughts. A lot of doubt. A lot of questioning of my faith. I, I thought, man, I'd be better off working at Amazon than leading Doxa, which I know is really bad. I'm just kidding. Some of you work at Amazon. <laughs> but I was ready to turn and throw in the towel. And here's what happens. If you're willing to, to state out loud what's consumed you, what you're fixated on, what you've been, in my case, worshiping, not only will you see how dark it really is, but you get to, in that moment, have your worship revealed for what it is. And thankfully, because I had the safety to share it with my brothers who really love God and really believe the gospel, they were not only free to let me be messy, which I needed, but they also had the confidence to know that they could direct me to a better source, a better truth. And that's what the shepherds experience from the angel. The angel doesn't just leave them in the state of fear and say, hey, you're right, you should all stay afraid. But the angel says this in verse 10, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I want you just imagine being in the, the position of the shepherds and there's an angel of the Lord appearing and the glory of the Lord coming all around you. And if you're not yet a Christian, that might sound, one, a little bit out of this world, and it should, but it might also sound really scary because you're like, if God really saw me and knew me and saw what I did and then came to visit me, I don't know if I could handle that moment. I remember a friend of mine back in Tacoma who still has yet to submit to the truth that Jesus came to save her from her sins and give her a whole new life with God the Father forever. She would often say to me, Jeff, if I came to your church, I think that I would burn up the moment that I walked in the door. That was her vision of what it would be like to come into the presence of God. And I kept saying, no, you don't understand. God is for you and has done everything in Christ to save you so that you don't have to walk in the fear of condemnation or even God rejecting you, but rather God is in Christ, come near and done everything so that you might be loved, accepted, forgiven, and welcomed into the family. And that's what the, the angel is saying to these shepherds who could have been and likely were thinking, God sees us, God knows us. Is he gonna strike us dead? And the, evil, the angel says, no, fear not. I bring you good news. That's where we get the word gospel from. Of great joy that will be for all people, not just a few, all who will come to him and believe, even the shepherds. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. Into their fear, there's good news. And you know what, in my fear, in my despair, into my pain, I needed brothers who would speak the good news into my life. 
See, we're all worshipers and we also all need someone to speak the good news into our false worship, into the darkness, into the despair, into the destruction that we're experiencing. I needed it bad, (laughs) family. I needed it really bad. I needed the reminder of what Tim said last week that Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us, and I need to know that God's with me in this. I'm not alone. He didn't abandon me. I needed to hear that he was given the name Jesus, which means God comes to save, to rescue. And he didn't just come to save us from our sins. He came to save us from the, what sin does, the destruction, the despair, the darkness it brings. And they just sat there one after another being really good brothers to me and saying, Jeff, I want to remind you, God's for you. God's with you. God loves you. I remember Alex saying, yeah, you, you won't be the same. That's true. But you'll be deeper. You'll be, you'll be a, a wiser. You'll, be, you'll have a kind of comfort you can give people that you didn't have before. And I remember sitting on the other side of counseling people when they had lost someone to suicide, as I did with Randy. And, and I'd give them all the truths, and I still believe every one of those truths that I gave them. But I wasn't sitting in the seat of someone who suffered through it. And now I'm going to be able to give a comfort that I have now received from God himself through my brothers, through my sisters, through this family. And there's a depth of understanding and empathy that I can enter into that I didn't have before. But I needed Alex to say, yeah, Jeff, you're not going to be the same, but that doesn't mean you're not going to be able to minister out of this in significant ways. And I needed Tim to remind me as he said, Jeff, not only are, have you been one who's led us and discipled us, but we're being discipled even in this as we watch you grieve, as we watch you go through it. God's not wasting this. And I needed Donald to say, Jeff, I know you're being consumed by fear right now. It happens to be that you're gonna preach on that this Sunday. God knows what he's doing. But then he said, you know what? Don't, don't look at this as the place that you're gonna stay because God is a God who redeems and brings you through. Amen. And I needed that. I needed someone to let me have a safe place where I could be honest about what I'm experiencing. And then in that, they could do what the writer of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And that's what they did. Every one of us needs this, by the way. It's why we keep telling you, do not stay alone. Do not remain in isolation. Get into a missional community. Get into DNA groups where people who love Jesus and believe that he's enough in the midst of the darkest times of our lives will speak the good news of Jesus to you. We all need this. I'm, I'm a lead teaching pastor of this church and I can't make it through these days without a community that will remind me of the very things that I preach. We need each other. All of us do. And I'm thankful because here's the deal. If we're not careful, if we get fixated on something other than Jesus, we get so blinded. So our, our view of God gets so distorted All of us have the potential to have a very different version of what God looks like because of the brokenness and pain and darkness we go through. And we need someone to be able to say, hey, fear not, there's better news. I want to tell you about a Savior born who is Christ the Lord. Christ means anointed one, king. The Lord means he's over everything. And therefore, not only should you bow down and worship him, but as you do, you know that he has the power to help you get through anything you've ever faced, the worst possible thing you could ever imagine. He knows, he experiences it, and he can get you through it. I'll never get over grief of my friend, but I will get through it with Jesus' help.
So the problem with false worship is it truly distorts all of reality. And you can know you're worshiping a false God or even a false version of God because you won't be experiencing the fruit of the Spirit. See, Paul in Galatians says that as we fix our eyes or set our minds on the the Spirit of God, whose job it is to make Jesus known to our hearts, we'll experience the fruit of the Spirit. He says, this is it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. I wasn't experiencing those things. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. I don't want to be faithful. I want to run away. I want to escape. Gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. I needed some brothers who would slow me down a little bit and say, say, say out loud what you're experiencing. Because the fruit of your life is the evidence of your faith. The fruit of your life points to the thing you're fixated on. The fruit of your life is what you, showing you what you worship. And I need some brothers to say, fear not. I've got good news for you. I want you to stop and just ask yourself, what have you been fixating on? What have you been worshiping? What has captured your affection or is the source of your fear? And then ask, what has it been producing in you? What, what has it led to in your own relationships, in your own psyche, in your own personal time alone? Whatever that is, I want to say to you, fear not. I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Maybe for some of you, you're like, man, I just fear losing approval of people. I'm just so concerned about what people think of me all the time. And I'm telling you, man, I see this. I love my children, but I see it in the, the reality to try and stay up on Snapchat or Instagram. It's like, if they just miss a little bit, will they lose the approval of their peers? And it's like they're, en- they're enslaved. And some of you in the room, that's you. you. You just can't stop looking at your phone and making sure someone's liking everything. Some of you are in the room going like, I don't get it. Yeah, but you give it to other things. You, you look and say, do my employees respect me? Do, does my boss think well of me? There's somebody that you're probably thinking, and if I lost their approval, I don't know what I'd think of myself anymore. Is that true for you? And if that's the case, fear not. I got good news for you. God sees you. God knows you. God loves you. And in Christ Jesus accepts you no matter how many times you've failed or fallen short because Jesus raised the standard of righteousness by saying this is what it looks like. And then he lived up to it by doing it for us in his life. And then he died for all the ways we fall short so that you and I by faith in Jesus know that we're not only forgiven, but we're given the righteousness of Christ as the standard that God met for us. It's good news that you and I can stand before God and go, you know, even afterwards you guys might go, yeah, that guy should probably not be preaching for a little bit longer. It's okay. God sees me. God knows me. God forgives me. God accepts me in Jesus Christ. So I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good in terms of the eternal reality of the state of my soul because I can rest knowing the one who knows me and sees me, loves me and accepts me and has forgiven me in Christ. Regardless of how dark my thoughts were, I'm loved, I'm forgiven, I'm accepted because of Jesus. Some of you, maybe it's like you, you fear the future. You don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. You don't, you're concerned about what's gonna happen to your kids. Fear not. I wanna bring you good news of great joy. God is with you. God in Christ is for you. God has already gone ahead of you. God actually not only knows the future, but is in control of it even when it feels completely out of control, which it felt for me, if I'm honest. 
And Jesus not only has overcome the greatest challenges in life, but he overcame the greatest thing that you ought to fear, and that's death itself. Jesus didn't just die on the cross for our sins. He rose again victorious over Satan, sin, and death. And you and I have in front of us a constant fear of what will happen tomorrow. And in Jesus, we already know what's gonna happen tomorrow. He has overcome sin, death, and Satan. And he has resurrected with power and authority. And all those whose faith is in Jesus, which is the very message I had to preach about my friend Randy, will get a resurrection body one day. And we will enjoy a forever home together on a new heaven and a new earth. Praise God for the future. Amen? I don't know what it is you worship or fixate on or have been controlled by in the last week or month or year, but I can tell you, if it isn't Jesus Christ, you're not free. And God wants you to be free, and he wants you to hear, fear not. That's what the elders did for me. It's amazing, it's what Lisa did for me, Randy's wife. I don't know if any of you watched the memorial, but if you haven't, it's been recorded. And if you get to the 35th minute mark where she gets up and shares, which I could not believe that his wife, Lisa, was gonna get up and share in front of a thousand people. I don't know how she had the power to do it other than the spirit of God that gave her an ability that's otherworldly. And if you watched it, you will see the presence of God all over her sharing how precious Jesus is to her and how much she loves him and how God has been so good to her. Who can say that? Except for someone whose eyes are fixed on Christ. In fact, I went, after the memorial service got done, uh, the family called and said, hey, Jeff, will you pick up some things at the store? And so I went across the street to the store that was right across from where the church is that we did the memorial service in. And I went in there and got my stuff and I got up to the cashier. And of course, I had a suit on. And the lady that was at the cashier said, wait a minute, were you just at the memorial for Randy? And I said, yeah. And she said, are you the pastor who did the, the message? And I said, yeah. I said, were you there? She goes, no, but I've been hearing about it. People have come in and they're talking. I said, did they tell you about Lisa? And she said, no, what happened? I said, oh, you've got to get online, watch it on the, the, the video that we recorded, get to the 35th marker and watch, 35th minute marker and watch what she says. I said, you will hear of a woman speak in such a way that you will know God's presence was in the room working in and through her to carry her through the worst possible circumstance with the power and presence of God. It was remarkable. How many of you were there and you saw it? Like it was, it was otherworldly. And it's the evidence of what God does when our eyes are fixed on him, when he's the center of our affection, that even the worst situation can be carried along with the power and presence of Jesus. It's amazing that, you know, Janie and I, just so you know, she's doing quite well in light of what's happened and the church has surrounded her with such great generosity and kindness. And every time I call her, the first thing she says, she says, how are you, Jeff? I'm like, what? (laughs) I should be asking you that. But God's just given her his presence, his love, his abiding spirit to comfort her and carry her through this. You know what? No matter what the elders said to me, whatever good words and truthful words they said, no matter what Lisa said to me or to others, I can't just hear it. I have to believe and repent. Okay? We, have to, we have to repent and believe the good news. And if you're not yet a Christian, this word repent might be a new word for you or maybe it's been co-opted by something that isn't really reflective of the truth of Scripture. Maybe even if you're a Christian in the room, this has happened to you because a lot of us think repent is stop doing this and start doing that. But that's not what the word repent means. It means to have a change of mind about what God is actually like. 
It's to have a new picture of God given to you that you believe that transforms how you see yourself and the world. And so when I was in those dark points of despair and the elders came around me and reminded me of what God is like and what he's done for me in Jesus Christ, I had to have the picture of God abandoning me, leaving me, somehow not gonna change anything in, in my world, transformed by the true picture of what God is like in Jesus and they just started telling me, remember, God is for you. God is with you. God redeems. God saves. Remember what Jesus has done. And what happened is I experienced not just truth, but repentance, where I went from a very dark view of God to a picture that looks a whole lot more like Jesus. And there's some of you in the room who need to experience that kind of repentance where you say, man, the view I've had of God has been based upon my church experience or the wounds I've received or the hopes that have been dashed. And what you need is you need the true picture of what God is like in Jesus Christ. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And God grants by the help of his spirit, not just truth to come to your ears, but faith to come to your heart so that you will repent and see God for who he really is in Jesus Christ. And then you'll want to worship him. Because he's the most glorious, he's the most fulfilling, he's the most loving, he's the most powerful, he is the most of everything you've ever longed for. And God gave me that again. In fact, I woke up this morning, I'll be real honest, alarm went off. James said, how are you doing? I'm like, I don't want to go. I don't want to preach. I, don't wanna, I, I just want to stay in bed. She's like, I remind you, praying for you, remember who he is. It's like, I just need that daily right now. And you know what happened in the bed? I experienced repentance again. But I want, I want you to hear this. Repentance isn't just a one-time thing that you did when you were 12 years old in your church and you came forward or 50 years old, whenever you came to faith in Jesus. It's the ongoing reality of our need to have the truth of God transformed by the realities of Christ. The Christian life is really one of ongoing repentance. We should be known as the most humble People around because we are always saying, I know there's still parts about God that I've got wrong. I know there's areas in my life that reflect it because I'm not experiencing the fruit of the Spirit there. And then with the guidance of the Spirit and the help of a community like I had this last week, they lead you back to the truths of God in Christ. And you know what happens when you hear the truth? When you confess what you've been believing and then you hear the truth spoken into it and then by faith with the help of the Spirit you turn and repent, not only do you get to see God and worship him again in the way you ought to, but all of a sudden this faith changes the way you see everything. Because your faith in God when you truly turn to him in repentance gives you a new view on everyday life. I want to say it this way. Faith changes your sight. Worship transforms your perspective. How many of you guys ever gone to an eye doctor and they do those things like, is it better now? better now. I'm always so afraid that I'm going to say it wrong. I'm going to end up with like bottle glasses or something, right? Like, oh, oh no, I said the wrong one. Now I got these huge glasses and I can't see. And of course it always works out. They get it right. And, and that's what God does, by the way, in these moments where he, he redirects us to the truth of himself through Jesus with the help of his spirit. It's like God's going, it's a little better now, right? It's a little better now, right? And all of a sudden the, the vision of God gets clearer and clearer and truer and truer. And that's what happens with the, 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 the shepherds. Look at verse 12. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's like God said, 
okay, I know you're afraid. The angel speaks good news into your fear. They start to believe it. And then God goes, let me show you a little more. And he just opens the curtain. And they see there's not just one angel. There's an army of angels. And it's not like God just has one little bit of good news. God's got all the good news. He's got all the authority and all the power and all the brilliance and all the magnificence. And their eyes are opened And I love it. Not only does he show them the bigger picture, which I want to pause a minute. I haven't quite seen the bigger picture. I'm going to be really honest. I'm seeing some of the bigger picture in my situation. Some of you may be in that moment where you're like, yeah, it doesn't, I'm not seeing the angels. I'm not seeing the glory. I'm not seeing the redemption yet. And I just want to, I just want to give you assurance. It's okay, but it's still going to happen. God's still going to be glorified. God's still going to accomplish his purpose. God's still going to make things far greater than you could have ever imagined in his time, in his way. I'm believing that. I'm seeing, I'm seeing inklings of it along the way. And what I'm seeing, even that cashier I was telling you about, when she, she, she asked about the, that story, and I told her I was not only the pastor, but I was, he was my best friend. And she lunged across the cashier desk and hugged me. And she doesn't know Jesus personally, but in that moment, it was like God said, I don't care. I can use anybody I want to encourage you anytime I want. And it was so beautiful. And we just sat there. I'm, looking, I'm hugging someone I hardly know. And everyone's watching and waiting in line in the, in the grocery store. And I'm just going like, God, it's like you see, you know, and you're showing me a little bit of the bigger picture. Because you know what I'm thinking? What happens when she finally meets God and loves Jesus and starts to tell people about what he's like and how he's transformed people and how God used her in a moment with a pastor who needed someone who didn't even know God, but God was in control of that moment as well. What's going to happen when Tacoma starts to realize here's a widow who should be in complete despair but is filled with the joy of the Lord? How are they going to explain that? They're going to have to say there's a bigger picture here that God's up to and he brings joy out of, out of mourning. He takes ashes and he raises up a beautiful headdress. He takes devastation. He raises up oaks of righteousness. God can take the worst and make it the best. He's a redeeming God. Amen. So not only does he show the bigger picture, but he also then, he just kind of brings it down to the mundane, everyday life. He shows these shepherds, I show up in normal stuff too. The angels went away from them into heaven and the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Verse 16, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. I love this. Just as the angels said, lying in a manger And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. They had been told, you'll find this baby in a manger. What does the angel do? Prepares them for what they're gonna see because nobody's expecting the king of the universe to show up in a feeding trough. But I love how God takes normal, everyday, mundane stuff that we often overlook and he says, I care about everything. In fact, when I come into the world, I'll come in the most humble, meager way so that you know that I care about everything. In fact, when I tell you to remember me, I'll tell you to do it through bread. And, and wine. And when you get baptized, I'll tell you to do it in just normal water. There's nothing special about that water. And what I love about God is he comes in to the mundane, everyday stuff, and he says, I'm there too. And I want you to hear that because I've had to take moments every day and just go like, I know you're in this meal that I'm eating. You're here with me. And you want me to remember you, that you provide my everyday needs. And these friends who made a call and showed up at the right moment, you're in that. And all these little mundane things that we all miss, you should see as an opportunity to worship the God of the universe who sees you and knows you and cares about everything. 
And that's how Jesus enters the world. But you see, you have to actually have your perspective changed about who God is and what he's like in order to see truthfully and clearly. I want to reference the speech that David Foster Wallace shared. One, one other thing he said in there. He said, here's another didactic little story. There are these two guys sitting together in a bar in the remote Alaskan wilderness. One of the guys is religious, the other's an atheist. The two are arguing about the existence of God with that special intensity that comes after about the fourth beer. <laughs> and the atheist says, look, it's not like I don't have actual reasons for not believing in God. It's not like I haven't ever experimented with the whole God and prayer thing. Just last month, I, caught, I got caught away from camp in the terrible blizzard. I was totally lost. I couldn't see a thing. It was like 50 below. And so I tried it. I fell to my knees in the snow and I cried out, oh God, if there is a God, I'm lost in this blizzard. I'm gonna die if you don't help me. And now in the bar, the religious guy looks at the atheist all puzzled. Well, then you must believe now, he says. After all, here you are, alive. The atheist just rolls his eyes. He's like, no, man. All that was was a couple Eskimos happened to come by wandering by me and then showed me the way home. It's all a matter of perspective. The person who knows God realizes God's involved in everything. And when you cry out to him, he shows up in normal everyday ways through people. In fact, I would say to you, if you're going, yeah, I haven't seen enough, what more do you need to see? God took on flesh and dwelt among us. God went to the cross for your sins to die on your behalf. God rose again in the person of Jesus to overcome Satan's sin and death for you. What more must you see to know that God loves you and cares for you and sees you and isn't just the one who pulls back the curtain to his heavenly host, but dials down to your own unique situation and says, I see you, I know you, I love you, and I've come to save you. I pray you'd all believe that. Because if you don't, you won't be able to worship like you were meant to worship. In fact, I love what happens after that happens to the, the shepherds, they can't, they can't keep it to themselves. In fact, it says that from that point on, they went everywhere they could and they praised God and they told everybody about the news that they had experienced. The Savior of the world has come. Fear not. I have good news of great joy that is to be for all people. Please, I beg you, believe that Jesus has come for you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us to take notice of what we've been worshiping. To even say it out loud to our brothers and sisters, people that love us. And I pray you'd give us all the words to bring good news to our fears, to our fixations, to our false worship. And in so doing, would you lead us to repent and turn to the truth of what you're really like as you revealed yourself to G through Jesus. And in doing that, Lord, would you make room for our, our hearts to have even greater affection. Make room for us to worship you for who you really are, to repent of any false view and to turn to what is true. And so, Lord, we ask that you do this for your glory because we know it would give you even greater fame in the city for us to really tell the truth of what you're like. But, Lord, also for our joy that we get to actually be set free to be exactly what you intend us to be, and that is worshipers who love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.